Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Friends, I have to tell you, number one, let, let me be very clear before we get into the message today. We have just a couple minutes, I think, before 11 o'clock when we start live streaming. But I wanted to share with you a little bit this morning about where I'm at. Uh, and and, and we're, not, we're not live yet, so I can walk around a little bit more, I think. Uh, here's the thing. First of all, I'm grateful and thankful that you decided to be here today. I knew we would have a small congregation today, and so we do. Uh, I understand why people didn't come today. In fact, I think for a lot of people, maybe even most people, it's best that they don't, okay? But for those who want to be here, those who felt like compelled to be here, well, I felt that we ought to be open for that reason. Uh, I, I want you to know that I am not defiant. Uh, if the government says that you will close, we, we will close. If the Wesleyan Church says you will close, we will close. I will be obedient to the leadership placed above me. But none of that has happened at this point. I also don't think we should be stupid. Okay, now you say, well, you shouldn't use that word. Well, I'm going to use it because sometimes we're not real wise in what we do. Uh, are there cases of Eagle County? There are. Uh, you know, uh, could they be potentially dangerous? Yes, possibly. Uh, what I don't see is people dropping and dying like flies. That would obviously compel me. Uh, but I am also cautious, and I realize that meeting like, together like this could possibly be a risk. In fact, we could even say it is a risk. So again, if we meet like this, whether it's today and tonight or Wednesday or whenever we do it, I want to continue to practice social distance. It only makes sense that we would do that. And so please be respectful of space. Uh, we ought not be hugging, right? Um, I have hugged a few people today. Uh, Probably that's not a great idea, uh, but nevertheless, uh, we want to be smart about that. And if it gets to the point where I feel that it's dangerous, then we're just going to not do it. We'll live stream, and I think most people can get it there. And, and if you can't, or you haven't, or don't know how, we will try to help you for the people that do it to find a way to uh, see the message online. There are a lot of things in the world today that scare me. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Nevertheless, I, I seriously prayed about this, and I said, Lord, what do you want to do? Well, we haven't gotten to that point yet. We're not streaming now, are we? Oh, we are, okay. Oh, I'm sorry, we're streaming. Well, I'll stay in, in my limit then. Uh, we haven't, uh, I did pray about this, and, and, and I haven't received the message from the Lord to shut down. Uh, and I want to be obedient to Him as well as be smart about what's happening. Um, I don't, you know, I've talked to other pastors. Most of them aren't closing. Uh, it, we might find out that that was pretty unwise of us. Uh, we may find out that it was pretty smart. Um, at this point, none of us knows. 
I, I don't I don't know what to do other than to use my gut and trust my relationship with the Lord. And so uh, that's what I, I plan to do. And so I'm thankful that you came today. Uh, we have, I don't know, 30 some people maybe in the church with, with our children. Uh, that's great. Um, I, don't, I don't know how many adults. I'm not going to count you guys. are probably going to count now and tell me how many. That's fine. But either way, um, I know that God has promised, uh, and I saw this. I don't know who showed it to me, uh, but God has said, where two or more are gathered, uh, I'll be with you. And somebody had a sign that said, where two or more are gathered, but less than 10. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and um, uh, I, I was going to use this little, uh, this little thing that's been going around, uh, and I asked Christopher to send it to me, which he did, but I decided not to use it. Maybe if he has it on his phone, we can, we can share it later. But uh, this is important. I've decided to take a little bit of a, a break today uh, from our sermon series. You know, we, what is the Church of Christ? And now an ellipsis, dot, 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 what about the Church of Christ? We're going to get into that next week. Um, but I really felt compelled to speak today on a brand spanking new message that God gave me. I had, I had to go uh, out of town on Friday, uh, long story why, Thursday and Friday, uh, thir- all day Thursday, and, and uh, it's back Friday, I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, so as I did that, um, the Lord really began to speak to me about things. I said, Lord, what about this thing? What are we going to do here? You know, what about it? And I felt like the Lord just started giving me all these things, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. You know, I remember watching a show called Love America Style. Anybody remember Love America Style? A lot of you probably do. And it always had the fireworks, you know, you remember that. And I felt like God was kind of bursting on my mind about this stuff. Um, and yesterday, or I'm sorry, Friday, I sat in my office and wrote a brand spanking new message, uh, all my stuff, all brand new points, all biblical and scriptural, and all of it I feel God just gave to me. And when God does that, you listen. And so if you have your Bibles and you will be so kind Turn to Luke chapter 21. I want to talk about some things that I think are absolutely relevant and very practical about the biblical understanding of things when they take place. I've entitled this message, When Pandemic Strikes. And I directed Marianne uh, to uh, give us an outline of it, but not put it um, on the back of the bulletin today because it was kind of a long outline. And, I, and it's not necessarily a lengthy message, but it had a lot of information. And I wanted some points to be there. And so I had her do it on an insert so that you would have the backside to write notes on it because I think you might want to do that. And so if you will, turn to Luke 21, scroll down to verse 5, and let's see what is happening as Luke writes it and Jesus speaks. He says, Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on it on another. Not one stone will be left on another. And every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. And when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against 
kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and they will persecute you. And they will, you will, they will deliver you to the synagogues and the prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors and all account on my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist nor contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish, for by standing firm you will gain life. Now, does this scripture match up completely with what we're dealing with? Not completely, but a lot. And again, I think we're looking at a movement toward this sort of thing that Jesus predicts. Now, friends, you're going to hear some things today that you might agree with, some things you might not. But all I ask you to do is chew on it a little. Don't get your defenses up and say, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with it. Well, listen, think about it, pray about it, look at the Scripture, and ask God to enlighten you. Over the years, many illnesses and viruses have struck mankind. And some have been called pandemics or just pandemic. The Spanish flu was well before my time, but it happened. The swine flu was in the 70s. More recently, bird flu and Ebola. And who could forget HIV and AIDS? Now we have COVID-19. Yes, it is serious, and mainly because we don't know a lot about it. There's no vaccine for it, and at this point, we have no real cure. There are some drugs that they're trying, or going to be trying, and I suspect more will come out, but this is brand spanking new. We haven't had that many weeks to get in, in front of it. So I believe that we will, and I think that they're going to be successful in some of this. But until then, what we're fighting more the unknown than anything. What we do know is that it is tremendously more contagious than the flu. But friends, the CDC estimated that nearly 50 million Americans contracted influenza which is the common flu in 2019. 50 million. Got it right off their website. Guess what? 50,000 died. That's one-tenth of a percent. Now, we don't know what the final take is going to be on COVID-19. It could be way worse. It may not match, and it may be less. We just don't know. What I do know is we have heightened our awareness. We are taking greater precautions 
than we do with the flu. We are trying to be better. We're not meeting together like we used to. Uh, we're taking precautions with sanitation and distance, and we're being more careful. I suspect that's about the best we can do at this point. But what we do know is that it is estimated at this point that 88% who get it will probably survive. Again, those numbers aren't for real. We don't know yet. But at this point, that's what they think, and that's what's happened thus far. Are people going to die? Yes, absolutely. And does it matter if you're susceptible or have health issues? Not necessarily. Typically, yes. Not necessarily. There are younger people that's got it that are on ventilators. So we, and we don't know if it's, if it's more. We don't know if there's more strength. We don't know. So I agree that erring on the side of caution is probably a good idea. We need to be cautious and smart. But I would say when people ask me that this is not an end times pestilence or disease. There are a variety of reasons why I think that. Yet, I would say that it is likely a precursor and a warning of things that are to come. Jesus clearly said that these things were going to happen. But when these viruses strike, this is what I want to kind of touch today. When these viruses strike, people often raise questions. I know I do. I suspect you do. First of all, why did this happen? Did God cause it? If not, then why did he allow it to happen? What can I do? And lastly, will what I do really make a difference? Now, those are fair questions, aren't they? Probably most of you have had some of those, if not all of them. And I suspect there are more questions. So let's start at the beginning. Why did it happen? Well, friends, there are many reasons why these things happen. From the moment humankind chose to be disobedient in the Garden of Eden, it completely disrupted God's perfect plan for His most precious creation, which is humankind. And when humankind was kicked out of the Garden, God removed His total protection from them. Obviously so. And I think we would all agree that Satan has had a heyday ever since. And it's going to continue until he himself meets his own final judgment. Amen? Some of these things come from God. There's no question that the Bible's clear about that as well. Some come from humanity, whether it was we messed with something we shouldn't have or we got involved in things we didn't understand. That's happened too. And some things are just natural and nobody was at fault and nobody could have stopped it. Clearly, I believe that the Bible tells us that God has initiated plagues on people just as He has initiated other calamity. But the fact is, many of the illnesses that we have have come from us in the first place. It started with our disobedience and then from the things we dabbled in, again, that we should not have, whether it's biological warfare or trying to find uh, cures for certain diseases, we've created other ones. Uh, most of the time it comes from evil, people thinking about doing bad, but nevertheless, we can trace it right back to our own fault. 
And still others we find are just natural occurrences, things that happen simply from the evolution of natural causes. But I would say to you that from the beginning of time in Eden for us and the fall of man, that since that point, Satan has been the perpetrator of most of it. Now let that sink in for a minute. Ephesians 6.12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in, I would dare say, the heavenly places. Now that means it's outside of our control, outside of our own physical earth even. That means Satan has authority and power that we don't always understand nor necessarily see. Now, we have evidence, friends, that Satan can and has afflicted people with illness. I would submit to you that he clearly did so with Job, didn't he? Moreover, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, think about that for a minute. The mystery of lawlessness, which means he's outside of God's law, and he has always been since he rebelled. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That means Satan is here and has been here and will continue to operate outside of God's control. Amen? And only he who now restrains it, according to Paul, will do so until he is out of the way. That's the Holy Spirit, no doubt about it. And the Holy Spirit is going to be removed from the earth. A lot of Christians don't know that, but it is true. It will come. The Bible is very real and relevant when it says that evil does not come from God. I know most people would question that when they see something like this happen, or anything else for that matter. Well, God must have done it. Well, not necessarily. But here's what I will tell you. Even if God did initiate it, it wasn't for evil. Do you understand that? All evil comes from Satan. All good comes from God. The Bible is clear about that. So even if God did it, we might think it's evil, but it is not. And God determines what's evil and what's not. Amen? So if God says, I'm not evil, then he's not, regardless of what we think. So anything that comes to us that is from an evil perspective obviously came from Satan and not God, even if humans perpetrated it. That's still satanic. Amen? Now, friends, that does not mean that God doesn't sometimes use illness and calamity to draw people back to himself, okay? To use calamity to draw people back to himself. In fact, God has said he will, hence my next point. Number two, did God cause this? Well, I don't have the first clue. Nobody does. However, it is common to blame God for any pandemic, Agreed? God has used natural disasters. He has used illness and disease in the past. For example, the flood, right? The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. Uh, we find famine, drought, pestilence, plague, war, and earthquakes against Israel, according to Amos in chapter 4. So we know that that's going to happen. Now, Israel could be from the Israel of the time uh, of Christ and before that. Or it could be the Israel that's of today, and it could be the Israel of the future. That means it could be the church of today, the people of today. It could be a, a, a physical nation. It could be whatever we want to make it. 
Israel is Israel, and it's always going to stand. And so Amos tells us that God has used these things to bring his people into line. And so we have to remember that. And God will certainly use illness and disease. He has before. Isaiah 45, 7. I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord and I do these things. Right? Hosea 5.15, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and they seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Now, we ought to take note of those things, my friends. In fact, God has said he intends to correct human behavior. I know he's corrected mine a time or two. Anybody? For those of you here, in the, in the audience today, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who are listening online, at home, or wherever you may be, you understand that God does these things. He said so. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 to 15, in the uh, English Standard Version, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and if they will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. He said, I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. You see, friends, God will do these things to accomplish His purposes, whatever they are. He did it with the Egyptians in, in, in Exodus to get the Israelites set free. And Revelation 9 tells us that he's going to do it again in order to get people to repent, although admittedly, most won't. He'll do it to teach us obedience. We find in Hebrews 5, verse 8, in the English Standard Version, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. <laughs> I, le I learned from things that I suffer. Does anyone else? I believe that that's something that God can use and has. I know I've used it, and it's been used on me. <laughs> he does these things to address our pride sometimes and our prideful attitudes. And let's face it, <laughs> we're a prideful people sometimes. He did it to David in 2 Samuel 24 13. You see, David had three punishments to choose from in order to pay for his pride. He could have had three years of famine, he could have chosen three months of defeat from his enemies or three days of plague. That's what God gave him as a choice. Now, that doesn't sound like much of a choice to me, but that's what he was given. Thankfully, the Bible says that God will, will relent when we humble ourselves. James 4.10, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. See, this is all biblical, my friends. We can trace it right into the Scriptures. God will also do these things to remove idolatry and force us to rely on Him and giving Him first place. And I think we struggle with that sometimes. Anything that gets in the way between us and God is an idol. That's idolatry. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, You cannot serve two masters, God and money, for you will hate one and love the other, or else the other way around. And whether it's money or something else makes no difference. It still gets between you and God, and God will, the Bible says, remove it. And so God is good about knowing what needs to be removed from our lives, doesn't He? Even though we might not. 
He will also do these things in order to teach us thankfulness and gratitude because we're not a grateful people. We're not a thankful people oftentimes. In fact, we're a people that thinks we should be given and given and given, and, and it's just the way things are. In Numbers 11, we find that the Israelites were no longer thankful for the, ma the manna that God had provided them. So he sent them quail when they complained. But if we look closely, he also sent a plague upon them. Now, I'll tell you what, I'd, I think I'd have kept the manna rather than complain. God will also do these things and has done these things to prove to us, friends, who he is. I will say to you today that God is who he says he is. Now, a lot of you ladies uh, in this congregation, for sure, have listened to the Bible studies of Beth Moore, and she says that, and I love that statement from her. God is who he says he is, isn't he? He proved who he was to Job, didn't he? And Paul says that the gospel will shine through us, even though our bodies are feeble, to show that it is from God and not from us. Now, isn't that interesting? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, in the New Living Translation, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. God will do that for His purposes. But I would say, friends, that it would be a mistake to attribute all of these diseases, all these calamities, all these disasters, or any pandemics completely to God. That would be a mistake. I think people blame God for a lot of things. In fact, they might blame God for everything. Anything that they don't like or anything that's out of the ordinary, anything that brings heartache, they're going to blame God for. I, I personally can't do that because I know better. Because sometimes I only need to look in the mirror. Amen? So I think it would be a mistake to attribute all these things to God. Disasters are and always have been a part of the natural process in a planet's evolution and ecology. And disease is and always will be part of the natural process among humans. It's, it's been happening from the beginning of time, ever since disobedience took place. And sometimes, my friends, God simply allows certain things to run their course. Have you noticed that? He sometimes allows things to run their course. And some people get caught up in tragedy and illnesses, I would dare say. And it's through no fault of their own. They were just at the wrong place at the wrong time or around the wrong people or it just happened. Now, the son of David, Solomon, tells us that some things just happen even to those who don't deserve it. He says in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 11 to 12, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor to the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. And I think some things are just outside of our control. And no matter what you do, guess what? So, listen, we could take every precaution there is and still get the virus. You understand? But I think we have to take a look at something else. Number three, 
if, <laughs> if these, are, these things are true, then why does God allow it? I mean, I've heard people say a loving God wouldn't allow these things. Well, well, who are we to say what God should or shouldn't allow? That's the problem right there, thinking that we're God somehow or on the same level as He is. That's what Satan did, and you see where it got him, okay? So why does God allow it? Well, here's the thing, friends. If God didn't cause it, then I think, I think it's a fair question because God doesn't have a problem with our questions. Does He even allow it to happen? Well, yeah, He does. In fact, other than the things we've already discussed, I want to touch on one thing a little bit. This relates to the overall problem of suffering, which God may allow for several reasons, okay? First, if God did allow it, it keeps this world from becoming too attractive to the Christian, encouraging us to seek something better, and that's always going to be Him. Would God do that? I think He might. It can also bring out the best in people, such as compassion, patience, and generosity. And these types of things oftentimes will do that. And I've seen more goodwill other than the hoarding at the stores <laughs> and the fight for bread or toilet paper. I mean, you know, right? I actually saw two people grab the same uh, package of toilet paper at Meyer the other day, and it, I, I didn't stand there to find out who would win it. But other than that, I think by and large, it does bring out the goodwill toward others from people. It also encourages people to think of God, to draw near to Him in repentance, first of all, obedience, second, and then sustenance afterward. And it has to be in that order, you know. God, God's not going to say, well, okay, God, you sustain me, and then I'll do that. No, no, no. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't work that way. Come to God, repent, be obedient, and He will sustain you. That's how it works. A second thing that I think why God allows it is that His own law prohibits Him from interfering with our free will. God's own law prohibits Him from interfering in our own free will. Now, we're fickle about that. We want our free will, but we want God to fix things that overstep the bounds of free will when it suits us. Have you noticed that? Stunning, isn't it? And for those of you listening today at home, online, or here, think about in your own mind, in your own life. Have you ever done that? I think it's very possible that you have. As it relates to things happening due to the rebelliousness and, and the disobedience of people, just like with sinfulness, God will not stop people from sinning. We, we think He should, but he, he doesn't because His own law doesn't allow that. He will give you the choice to sin or not. Now, we'll make deals with ourselves and say, well, I couldn't help it. Well, God alone is going to determine that too. But I'll tell you, He knows the heart. He knows your heart. He knows mine. And He will determine whether you could or you couldn't help it. So I'd, I'd be real choosy about what I determined about sinfulness. But nevertheless, He will not stop people from being disobedient. He won't keep them from idolatry. He will not keep them from greed. He will not keep them from pride, self-centeredness, nor sexual sinfulness and desire. God has, He will continue to give His people free will. And based on that freedom, we will either live, prosper, suffer, and or die. Oftentimes, my friends, 
based solely on our own choices or the choices of others. And that is something we're going to have to write on our heart because it's just fact. However, whenever the innocent and the righteous die, and they do, and it may seem unfair, and I suspect that it probably is, there are some things we're going to have to remember. And I'm just, don't shoot the messenger because that's all I am here. There's some things we have to remember. Did you understand that through King David in Psalm 116, we find that the death of the righteous is precious in the sight of God? It's precious. The death of the righteous is precious. We don't often think of it that way, but David says it is. We find in Isaiah 57 that the death of the righteous removes them from all suffering and all evil. And you know, friends, I've known lots of Christians that said, I can't wait till the Lord returns. And, and, and if it's not going to come in my lifetime, then I'm ready to go through death to meet him. Why? Because they've had enough. I, I, I understand that. I didn't when I was 15, but I do now. Anyone? See? And we also find in Revelation 14, 13, that the death of the righteous is truly a blessing. And now I understand why. Because Christ is going to be involved in that. And I love that point with the, when he's crucified between the, the two thieves and both of them hurled insults at him, you know, and then somewhere along the line, one of them had a change of heart and, and, and realized that Christ wasn't guilty for what he was being punished. Although he and his partner were, Jesus was not. And he said, Lord, when you come into your, into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus was so compassionate. Instead of worrying about himself and his own pain, not just the physical stuff, but what he was receiving from the sinfulness being placed upon him of all time. He said, I tell you the truth this day, you shall be with me in paradise. That means he was, that man after death was going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And I believe that, friends. I believe that when we pass away, when we die, when we kick the bucket, whatever you want to call it, when that time happens, if you're a Christian, you will be in the presence of Christ. Do I think we're walking streets of gold? No, I don't. That comes later. But that's going to be a dispute, I know. But I do know that we're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And to be, for some people, including myself, that's better than here. Anyone? Another thing, whenever things like this happen, whether it's this or something else, whether it's caused by God or not, good things can come from it. We don't often see them, but they do. In fact, they typically do. These types of things eventually bring out the best in people, I think. I know they bring out the best in God if we rely on Him. And why? Because we're returning to Him sooner and we're turning to Him more often. And friends, when you do that, I think you're going to get more good things. What do you think? Because that's just the way God is. So number four, what can I do? Well, there's a lot actually. The first thing we should do is pray and seek God's face. How about that? And when I was putting this message together, God didn't give me these points necessarily in order, the way I put them today. But it was, he, he pretty much had me at prayer. You know, you've heard the thing, you had me at hello. Well, for me, it's you had me at prayer. Because that's where I needed to be, and I knew it. Because I was starting to do exactly what everybody else does. Start using my human understanding to rethink and overthink this, this whole thing. And God said, well, you know, you can always pray. There's, there's a thought. So we should pray and we should seek God's face. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. That's the second time you've heard that today. There's a reason why. Now, do I think that God has brought this calamity? I'm not saying that. Am I thinking God brought this pandemic? I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that God is, is uh, uh, getting rid of people, you know, through death that are guilty of something. I, I've heard that some Christians are praying that, that God, if they got this disease, they, they must have done something. Please. Okay? That's ludicrous to say such things. But I will say to you that things do happen. And when they do, it could be from God. And if it is, it doesn't matter. The fact is, what can I do? I still have responsibility, whether it is or it isn't. First, it's our duty as Christians to pray for all people, and not just for Christians. In fact, I think we should pray more so for the unsaved that might contract us and not, might not make it. What do you think? There's the thought. In fact, the Bible even tells us so. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, I urge you then, Paul says, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving ought to be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's good. And it pleases God our Savior and wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you something, friends. I'll be straight up about this. You and I both know that I was not a fan of our previous president. Sometimes I'm not a real fan of this one. But I'll tell you what I do. I pray for both. And there are people in the world today who call themselves Christians that hate this president so much that they won't pray for him. And I'm going to tell you something. The Bible doesn't say that to me. It tells me that we're absolutely out to pray for him, whether we agree with him or not. Amen? And we should go to the Lord in prayer. Like it or not, that's your leader. Secondly, we must pray for those directly afflicted and their loved ones. And friends, I, I, don't, I don't know anyone who has it, but I bet I might before this is all done, okay? We need to pray for those people who are afflicted. We should pray for those who are providing the help, the research, and those who are making the decisions about it. The Bible says that the prayers of righteous people are what? Powerful and effective. The Bible also tells us that when we seek the Lord, we will always find Him. We will always find Him. Let me tell you, my friends, it's in times like these that we need to find Him. Amen? So let us then seek His face and be in prayer. We should also continue to practice our faith. And this is, this is, these are some of the things I want you to write down. Again, you may disagree with me on some of these things. That's fine. But I, I think you ought to at least consider them. We should continue to practice our faith. Now, this means that we get this in capital letters, cannot panic like the rest of the world will. We cannot panic like those who do not have Christ or do not understand Him probably will. We cannot panic like the rest of the world. John 14, 27, listen to this. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, I didn't count up how many times it says, do not fear, don't be afraid, but it's a lot in the Word of God. Anyone with me here? If you've been in the Word of God, you know what I'm saying. 
cannot panic like the rest of the world. Secondly, we cannot be wrongly influenced by worldly sources such as the media and the government. Now, do not misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not telling you to turn a blind eye to what the media and the government are telling you. That's not what I said. But just like there's a whole bunch of different types of news sources, some you agree with and some you don't, uh, I think we ought to be uh, very discerning about those things. Okay? Because people that don't have Jesus Christ don't have the peace that passes understanding and don't understand that there's nothing to fear, even if there might be for everybody else, they're not going to report the same way. Do you understand that? They're just not. They can't because they don't know. So we cannot panic like the rest of the world, and we cannot be wrongly influenced by worldly resources. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, Jesus said. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Say it with me. I have overcome the world. Here in the sanctuary, there at home, I have overcome the world. But remember this, because it does not mean that we shouldn't listen to the information that they give us. That would, again, go back to stupidity. I'm not saying that. But you cannot be completely influenced just by what you hear in media and from the government. Shouldn't God have your ear as well? Let's ask Him and listen. Amen? Thirdly, we cannot then react the same as non-believers do. Cannot react in the same way that non-believers do. Deuteronomy 31.8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Now, my friends, I take heart in that. Do you? I think that's an amazing passage. You see, we have a joy, we have a peace, and we have a hope that, let's face it, there are many in this world just do not have. And our reaction because of that ought to absolutely seriously be different, shouldn't it? Because we have it, our reaction ought to be different, so therefore we cannot react in the same way non-believers do. The Bible is clear. Listen to Jesus Himself in Matthew 10, verse 16, in the contemporary English uh, uh, version, look, I am sending you as sheep among wolves. Therefore, what should we do? Be wise as snakes and innocent as doves. Another great scripture for us today. And neither, friends, number four, can we underreact. Now, I know that's probably not a phrase that ought to be used in the English language, but I think underreaction is a bad idea. Let me explain. You see, friends, God has never commanded us to throw away common sense. <laughs> He's just never done that. And so, you know, uh, if a house is on fire uh, and God tells me to go in there and pull somebody out as a law enforcement officer or, or, or a fire, I, okay, I'm in. I get it. But I'm not going uh, to say, oh, house on fire. I'm going to test God and run in and see because I know He's going to protect me. Well, that's not real smart. That's not common sense. And... No firefighter is going to tell you to do that. But if someone's in there dying, they might go. But if, if there's nobody in there, why would you? You see, there has to be a purpose for things. So we can't underreact. God never commanded us to throw away common sense. And so we should definitely protect ourselves, don't you think? I think it's wise to protect ourselves. And it makes me wonder what's going through the minds of some people, even Christians, who will make a statement like this. I think I'll protect myself against this virus, but nobody ought to carry a gun to church. 
And I think, there's people out there saying that today. What kind of world do we live in? Not a very good one sometimes. And I think, how ridiculous is a statement like that? God wants us to be smart and safe. And He wants us to use good judgment. Amen? I believe this is a combination of being a good Christian. Yes, protect yourselves. Protect ourselves, whether it's from Satan, whether it's from natural disaster, whether it's from war, viruses, or even bad people. Remember, all evil comes from where? Satan. Protect yourself. And yet, friends, we must be wise and still obedient. I will never stand here in the pulpit, or anywhere for that matter, and tell you to be disobedient. I will never tell you that you ought to be defiant, at least not for the wrong reasons. If God tells you to stand for things that goes against His law, that's a different ballgame. But we are to submit to the government authorities. Paul was clear about that. And Jesus seemed to say it as well. In fact, He said, you know, <laughs> whose who's, who's picture is on this coin? Well, Caesar. Well, give to Caesar what's his and give to God what's his. And don't you think we should do that? I believe so. So, to that end, we must be wise and obedient to God and to the government. And I do believe that we can do both. We can be good Christians. We can give God our best. We can live our faith. We can attend worship services when they're allowed. We can have Bible studies in small groups, and we can be in the Word every single day, my friends. We can also be obedient. I want to stay open here at Free Life as long as it is relatively safe. What that means is we must continue to observe social distance. We must disinfect. We must wash our hands, and we must generally, again, be wise. I will never put people in harm's way, and you always have the option of not being here. If we're sick, stay home. If we're in poor health or are susceptible to this type of thing, stay home. Even if we're apprehensive or afraid, I would suggest we stay home. Now, if people start coming down with this virus or dropping like flies, we're going to close. If the Wesleyan Church tells me to close, I'm going to close. If the government tells me to close, even if it's the mayor, I'm going to close. Why? Because it's called obedience to the government. And it doesn't go against God's law, and it's a temporary thing. Now, if they tell us we're shutting down all churches for good, well, now we've got a different game on our hands, don't we? I'm not fearful of that, friends. And I believe... We must use good judgment. You see, we can honor God, and we can honor earthly authority, and we can honor one another, and I believe we should. And I don't think it's biblical to do otherwise. And yet, we also have to do the right thing for God, for ourselves, for our families, and for others. Again, it's the right thing to do. It's what Jesus did. It's what He would continue to do, and it's what the message of the Bible tells us. As we have opportunity... We're to do good. God never says do bad. He says do good. Be a good example. Be wise. Help where you can. Show people love and compassion. And if they got their hand on that pack of toilet paper, give it up. 
God will provide for you. I really think he might. You? God knows you need toilet paper. He knows all the things you need. Okay? Now, you can giggle at that. That's fine. But I believe in to be part of the solution. We're to sow the peace of Christ during this difficult time. And where else are they going to get it? We should continue to support the kingdom and our church. And those of you who are listening at home who attend a different church, support your church. And if you don't support a church now, find one and support it because that's what you should be doing. You're going to support your church with time, your tithe, and your talent. You understand that? That's never changed. That's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the message of Paul through Jesus Christ. It has never happened to change. It's the same. Just because we don't or can't go to church physically doesn't mean we drop our obligations, does it? The church still needs to be able to uh, operate, pay bills, support ministries. And these things never go away. In fact, during this time, it's probably going to be more difficult. And some churches might not survive because of it. You know why? Because people stop tithing. People stop supporting. And people stop praying. We can't. And we still want and should offer services to others. Can't do that without resource. Amen? And, my friends, we should be willing to step up and out of our comfort zone when new and different opportunities to serve, to give, or to minister arise. Because this has never happened before. In 30 years of ministry, I've never had to do this before. I've had scares and things, but nothing like this. And so I assure you, things are going to arise that we've never done before. In fact, they already have. We're doing it now. Okay? We're a, a lunch station for the Vigo County School Corporation, handing out lunches every day, Monday through Friday, to children who need them. Okay? So... Listen, we've never done that before because it's never been done here before. New opportunities for ministry will arise. We need to embrace them. Number five and lastly, will what I am doing or what I'm going to do do any good? You tell me. This was meant to be a message of hope and reason. I think it is. Isaiah 41.10 says, get this, fear not. I am with be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, friends, living our faith will always do good. Paul tells us in Galatians that as we have opportunity, we are to do good to all people. And we should not hesitate to help those who may not necessarily or who aren't a Christian. In fact, I think that might actually be the point. What if one person comes to Jesus Christ through our faith, through our generosity, through our service during this crisis? You see? It will also glorify the Father. And isn't that what we ought to be doing anyway? Isn't that number one? Jesus told us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And I thought about that for a minute. I thought... I don't think God will mind if I modify that just a little bit, not say it's Scripture, but I want to share something with you. How about we do unto others as Christ has already done unto us? There's a thought. God has blessed me. Has He blessed you? 
He was pretty clear about this in Matthew 5, 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And what will it do? Glorify your Father in heaven. It will also deepen our faith, strengthen the church, and spread the gospel. And I think you're, you're, you're like, really? Through this? Yeah. Yeah, it will. It can deepen my faith, strengthen the church, and spread the gospel. It may not seem like it, but it can. Again, how many people are watching today? I'll bet you more people are watching this type of thing today than go to church physically on a Sunday morning. How many people are reaching? I don't know, but I'm glad we are. Is it going to deepen my faith? I know so because God's going to work miracles in our lives. Is it, is it going to strengthen the church? You bet it will. In fact, it's going to strengthen our resolve and realize that we need to be in church more than ever. You see, that's the idea. When we practice our faith, particularly in ways that we're not used to. When we practice our faith in ways that we're not used to, that deepens our faith in Jesus Christ. It always has. And that, in turn, strengthens the church body, which we talked about last week. And it will spread the gospel. And it isn't interesting to you and refreshing to see this working the exactly the same way that God said it would throughout the entire Scripture. That's His message. God, the Bible says, works in strange and mysterious ways. Ways that I don't understand. Ways that I don't see and ways that I'll never know. And don't you see God doing that right here? What a beautiful thing God does. It will give God, my friends, the opportunity to do what only He can do. When at the end of the day, when there's nothing we can do, God can. At the end of the day, when we can't, God can. And that, my friends, is what every Christian wants to see anyway. It is for me anyhow. And I think actually all humans want to see it, whether they're Christian or not. I think they want to see it. And they may not admit it, but they really do. Because God is more than willing to prove to us exactly what He can do. And lastly, it will bring believers peace and hope. That's what it does. It might bring unbelievers peace and hope too. That's, that's the aim. This is the victory on earth that Paul was talking about throughout the Scripture. You can see your salvation in action. You can see it in action. And the proof of what is to come in eternity is before you. You see, friends, the Bible's clear, and I believe that we don't have to be in heaven to see the peace and hope of God. Jesus said you can have it here, and you can have it abundantly. As our worship team comes this morning to close up our service, I want to share something briefly with you. Disasters, epidemics, and pandemics are terrible. They always have been. But they can be occasions for good in this world. The wicked can turn to God, and I hope that they will. The righteous can, and I hope that they will, draw closer to God. People can become more charitable. Enemies can become friends. With faith in God and love for our fellow person, we can make the best of any situation, and I pray that this time we will. Strengthening bonds between believers, bringing communities together. That's already happening right now. I'm watching all sorts of uh, different parts of our community, the school system, the, the police departments, and uh, different sections coming together and doing things that we would never have done otherwise. 
It's happening right now, and it's happened in five days. <laughs> God did that. Whether he created this pandemic or he didn't makes no difference. He's bringing us together. And it is allowing God to reveal himself and his power. I'm seeing it all the time. I'm watching it right now. And it helps us to appreciate what's really important in life. You know what I bet? I'll bet you families are going to do things together more than they ever did before. I bet you children are going to have parental guidance on a one-on-one -on -one basis that they probably would not have gotten without this. I bet you a dollar to a donut, you're going to find people spending time breaking bread, eating meals together, and generally doing things that families ought to have been doing in the first place. And isn't that just like God, whether he created this or he didn't, to make that happen? Isn't that his plan? My friends, in times of trial, tribulation, and even, I would say, the unknown, trust in God, reach out to aid your neighbors. And I think the Apostle Peter said it best in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, from the International Standard Version. I don't read this one much, but I like this. Honor everyone. Keep on loving the community of believers, fearing God and honoring the King. 